Christmas is here. And, uh, and Christmas is this time where we, we actually are thinking about being with God, or more particularly, God being with us. And so I sort of wanted to throw your mind maybe back to somewhere you've never been. What would it have been like? I want you to imagine what it would have been like to be with God back in the Garden of Eden. Have you ever tried to place yourself back there? Thought about it? Like what, what, what would happen? You know, the, the, the afternoon breezes coming in, cooling things down. You actually need that. It's a, see, it's, this is what makes me think Eden's more like Queensland than like Tasmania because you don't need the afternoon breeze in Tasmania. Just kidding. Um, but it would have been really, what would you talk about? Would God be interested in the cricket? You know, like, like what would happen? Would, would, you might tell him about something that you care about. And you might think, oh my goodness, that was so dumb. What is, what's God going to think? What, what would it be like to be with him? To walk with him? And do you think now there's a part of you that misses it? That misses being with God? Like I guess you can't, no, it's silly. that's silly. I guess you can't miss something you've never had. Well, anyway, in chapter one of Matthew, there are two things that we are reminded of. We've been started the Christmas story here. And the first one is that Israel, this, this, this country, this family that was talked about all through the Bible, that they were meant to, their whole job was to bring God and people back together. So the book of Matthew begins with this genealogy that traces Israel's family line, this special family that God will use to fix our disconnection from him. But the genealogy ends with them stuck in exile. So, so you've got this family who are meant to bring all of the humans on earth back into God's presence, themselves get kicked out of God's presence. They couldn't even manage their own relationship with God, let alone broker a deal for the rest of the world. This great hope for, for everyone to get back in the presence of God is an unexiled humanity. But when the rescue team needs rescuing, yeah, things aren't looking good for humanity getting back together with God. And so at the start of Matthew... Look, it's, I mean, I called this one a, a, a lonely Christmas. I was going to go a depressing Christmas. And I thought, no one will rock up on Sunday. This isn't going to be good. Um, but but life, was, life was just going on as normal, but it was depressing, the start of Matthew. And that was almost the point. It was just normal for them. But it is depressing because people can't talk to God or hear from God directly. And that's normal. You're like, I'm like, well, you haven't had an audible chat with God where he's audibly spoken to you and you've spoken with him a lot the last few days. And you're like, well, yeah, that's kind of normal. And I'm like, yeah, do you see the problem? This is not good. This is not normal. Something goes wrong in a family when a father can't talk to his kids. This is a sad normal. We're his kids. We're in his image. We, we, this should not be normal for humans that we can't talk to him in that way. We're away from the garden. We're not there having a stroll in the afternoon. We don't get to chat about how the nectarines are growing. We don't get to talk about the cricket. You don't get to ask God, hey, so God, what did you, what did you, do? What did you get up to yesterday? I just created a new galaxy. It was pretty fun. Oh, nice. You know, like, we, we, like it'd be... How do Adam spin and why, God? Why two up quarks and one down quark? I don't even know if I got the right number, but you know, why are they built like they are? Those conversations would be beautiful. It's a weird start to a gospel, a weird start to a book that says, I'm good news. And it doesn't get easier. All right, we're going to get into it. Mary's had the baby, she's got the baby. We think we're talking sort of, you know, gorgeous George, Fletcher, Steele, that kind of age, right? Joseph knew that the baby wasn't his. That's hard for a man. 
even, even though he does trust the angel saying this thing is from God, but, but that's hard for a man. But he's stuck with Mary despite this baby not being his. But then things move on from awkward. Very quickly they get to deadly. The government wants to kill their child. See, they're, they're very intelligent, obviously, they're magi, but very naive magi. They let slip about Jesus. They tell the king of signs in the heavens that there's going to be a newborn king. Like, stop and think about that. They're telling the man in power, there's someone new who's going to come to power. When it comes to losing power, Herod's not the kind of guy to take chances. He has a reputation. The, the magi didn't do Jesus a favor. And so he has got a target on his soft newborn back. And then come the angels. There are four times, four times when angels come in here, four angel interventions. And this angel appears to the Magi and diverts them away from Jerusalem saying, don't go back. Now, we've got to work out. We've already got there. We're Eden with Babylon. Yes, here we go. So in Jerusalem, we're in Bethlehem. And this angel diverts them says, don't go back. Because they've gone from Jerusalem in the capital. to They found where Jesus is in Bethlehem. And instead of going back, the angel says, no, don't do it. Now, this buys Jesus and Mary a little bit of time before Herod realizes those magi aren't coming back. And he gets angry. Now, he gets angry enough that it doesn't matter that he hasn't found the exact child. He's just going to kill them all. Region the size of Bethlehem, how many kids would that be? 20 under 2. Herod gives the order. Murder them. But the angel intervenes again, this time warning Joseph what's coming. He says, get up, take the child and his mother, and go to Egypt and stay there until I tell you. Now, Joseph does exactly that. And when I say exactly that, I mean exactly that. The, the, the text shows that so clearly. Word for word here is the obedience of the thing that he's commanded and the thing that he does. He gets up, takes the child and his mother at night, and leaves for Egypt. And yet Herod does not stop. His soldiers do not spare. This is a, this is a, this is a real thing that happened. They kill all the boys under two in Bethlehem and its surroundings. And this brings grief the likes of which we haven't seen in the Bible since the exile. Since the people of God got themselves, who were supposed to get us back into the Garden of Eden, they got kicked out of their land where they were supposed to live with God as well. Since that dark day when Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael and Azariah and countless other children were stolen from their families... And they were gathered together at Ramah and then marched off to Babylon. This is what the Lord says. A voice is heard in Ramah, a morning in great weeping, Rachel weeping for her children, refusing to be comforted because they are no more. You might have been wondering, why on earth is, is Ramah being mentioned, Rachel being Who is Rachel? Well, Rachel was the genetic great-grandma of, of every Israelite. So here, her name is invoked to, to represent every Israelite mum on the day when her, ch her child is taken away from her to where she knows not their fate and her children are no more. It's a sad time. And this, 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 this moment of great grief is like the tragedy that, that years and years later they quote to remember just how bad this was. Now for Mary and Joseph, they, it's actually different. In fact, I wonder if they felt bad because they have the incredible relief of survival 
they seek asylum in Egypt as refugees. They get there. And which Matthew says is exactly what God had said would happen. Verse 15. Uh, Where are we? Verse 15. And so was fulfilled what the Lord had said through the prophet, Out of Egypt I have called my son. Now, not many years later, after this, Herod dies, and the angel comes again. This is the third visit of an angel, and speaks to Joseph. And the message is essentially, like, word for word, the same as the message to go to Egypt, but this time it's just in reverse. Get up, take the child and his mother, and go back to Israel. And again, the word for wordness is uncanny. Joseph is exemplary. He listens, he trusts God, and he obeys. Gets up, takes the child and his mother, and goes to Israel. Except there's complications, right? See, the new king, his name's Archelaus, he is as bad as his dad Herod ever was. And Joseph is scared, again, for the safety of his family. But for the fourth time, an angel comes. God intervenes through a message in a dream, and the young family finds a rental in Nazareth. 100 k's north of Jerusalem, where are we? There we go. Nazareth, 100 k's north of Jerusalem, sort of Tunbridge, that kind of, you know, distance north, where their little boy is finally safe. Out in the boondocks, like Tunbridge, but safe. Which again, is what Matthew, which again Matthew says is what God said would happen. Now, there's no specific prophecy in the Old Testament saying the Messiah will come from Nazareth. Like, uh, there's no sort of, like, that's not a predicted location. But there is a number of the prophets who keep on saying he will be humble and lowly in his origins. And Nazareth is like definitely lowly. So, so the best guess that, the, that the, um, the commentators have got as they're trying to work out, hold on, why did he say the prophet said he'd be a Nazarene? Well, the, the, they're trying to say the paraphrase of verse 23 might be, and so it was fulfilled what was spoken by the prophets, that he shall be called by the peoples a bogan. Right? You know, like a Nazarene. He's, he, he, he's someone from there. And so it was. Now that's Matthew's record of Jesus' childhood as a refugee. That'd be pretty cool to be made into a Netflix series, wouldn't it? Like not just a little... Not just a little sort of, you know, nativity scene, but like the drama of the escapes and the uncertainty and the arrival in Egypt and the way you're going to get welcomed or kicked out, what's going to happen. Like, it's got drama, it's got intrigue, it's got violence, it's got fleeing, it's got angels, it's got immaculate conception, everything you want in a Hollywood blockbuster, right? But there's actually more to it than that. There is a whole extra line through this drama that you could easily miss if you don't know the backstory of Israel. Another level of tension that would have been twisting in your gut if only you knew what the stakes really were. Now, I want to sort of illustrate what this is like. Now, we're all going to have different reactions to this. What is your reaction when you see this slide? What's your reaction? Right? Some of you are like, again... Others of you haven't seen it, have no idea what it is. Some of you are like, fantastic, there must be a new Star Wars series coming out. There's only 13 that have come out in the last year. And others of you are just thinking, well, okay, I know I'm going to lose my husband and my children to the TV screen for the next 15 hours because there's a marathon on. See, different, your, your expectations, your knowledge of the, of the background changes what you think of it. What do you think when you see this Thing. Are you thinking, oh my goodness, this is going to be so good? Or are you looking at it thinking, hold on, 
hold on, what's, why, why is Grogu look like he's not well and they're concerned about him? Is there something wrong with Grogu? This is, this is not okay. And you're getting all nervous about the little baby Yoda. It depends on how nerdy you are and how into this, whether you care. Or, for example, these. Now, some of you are thinking, what on earth are those? Others of you are laughing because you have friends who are really into K-dramas. Others of you are looking at them saying, yeah, that's what I'm doing when I get home from church tonight. And yet others of you are saying, Pete, you are such an amateur. Those are only the ones that are on Netflix. That's not real K-drama. So your reaction to it depends differently depending on what you know about the story. Now here, for some people, as they were hearing this backstory, they would have had all sorts of memories, all sorts of feelings, all sorts of, I know that scene, I've seen that before. Yes, that's my favourite bit. That's my favourite character when Matthew was being read out. And for the rest of us, it did nothing. So let's dig into it. Because there's a funny thing. Do you remember, some of you guys know the book of Genesis, all right? Because there's another bloke named Joseph who once escaped to Egypt for fear of murder. Yeah? You remember that? Well, as we mentioned, back in the book of Genesis, right at the start of the world story, humanity was exiled from the garden. But then God chose the family of Israel to save the world. And one member of this nation, Joseph, old Joseph, we're going to call him, Genesis Joseph, narrowly escaped death by heading to Egypt, much like our Joseph. Now, in Egypt, old Joseph obeyed God in an exemplary fashion, much like Mary's Joseph. Even when it was hard to trust much like Mary's Joseph. And because of his obedience, old Joseph ends up saving many lives in Egypt, just like Mary's Joseph saved a life by taking them to Egypt. But old Joseph didn't just save people in Egypt. Oh, no, 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 no. He stored up a heap of food. This was how he saved people. And when a famine spread across the whole world, Egypt had enough food to feed everyone who flocked into Egypt from across the whole world. So, Old Joseph actually saved the whole world. Which is the same thing as what Joseph's son, Jesus, is predicted to do. Oh, this just keeps getting better. You know, this just keeps going. Old Joseph's family grows up in Egypt and becomes the people of Israel. And at the end of Israel's time in Egypt, the king, Pharaoh, commits mass murder of male infants in order to retain the control of his power just like Herod. But, like Jesus, one baby boy escapes. Moses. would be about the same age as Moses Matthews. Probably not quite as cute, but that's okay. And like Jesus, Moses had to leave his country to avoid being killed, but was then told by God he could go back home because the people who were trying to kill him had died. Just like Jesus. Now, it might be hard to believe there are actually a lot more of these not-so-subtle references, these not-so-subtle connections, these parallels to the, to the Exodus story as when God's people came out of Egypt to this story. I don't actually have time to go through them all. The point of all this is we are reading a sad story about loss and displacement, but an Israelite reading the story is like ping, 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 ping. All of the pop culture references are going off in their brain. And they're reading the saddest story, but at every point they see this little ping of like, oh, hold on, but I've, I've seen this bit before. 
is this, have I, have I watched this movie before? Have you had that moment where you think, have I watched this before? Or you're like, no, it's just this, the same plot as every other rom-com I've ever seen. It's like, they're having this moment. I know how this ends. I've seen this. And then something else sad. I've seen that too. And something else really difficult. I've seen that. Every scene screams out, this is the Exodus story. Which means that as, a, as an educated Israelite, uh, a godly Israelite is reading it. She's thinking... Sure, this is dark, but I know how this ends. The next stop in this story is God coming down out of heaven and living directly with his people in our own special land. That's how this story ends. It's the story of how we got everything in the first place that now we've lost in the exile. This is when we got God's presence, God's blessing, God's friendship. Sure, first couple of chapters is awful, but I know how it's going to end. This is where God comes and lives with us. Did you notice the little quote that he drops in verse 15? The, out of Egypt I called my son. You see, that's not actually a prediction about Jesus, even though when you see it in there, Matthew says, oh, that's a fulfillment, Jesus fulfills this. That, that, that quote is originally about Israel. The son is what God calls his people Israel. It's from the Exodus. And God says to Pharaoh, let my son go that he may worship me. Now, sure, the first son can't stay true to God. The, the people of Israel sin again and they make things even worse and they're not fit for the, for the task of getting us to be back in God's presence and to hang out with him again. So, you know, God does kick them out again, but this time not out of Eden, but he kicks them actually out of the promised land into exile in Babylon. This is, this is Daniel's story. But when you read this passage now, you're meant to think, I know how this will end. I know how Matthew's going to end. The book of Matthew, read the Gospel of Matthew, go for it in this week. It's going to end with God and his people back together. Matthew's message, the note he wants to sound, even though it's a sad story he tells, is a hope story. Hope for people who don't have hope. Hope for people who are convinced that God is far away from them and he's always going to be. Hope for people who are sad, who are downcast. And so if that's you, Matthew doesn't just want you to read the quote about the sadness, he actually desperately wants you to read on in the story. See, you remember the Rama quote? The Rama quote. Well, it starts with, a voice is heard in Rama, warning and weeping. But again, the educated Israelite, the kid who'd been to Sunday school, Israelite school, little souls at Israel, well, they knew that the next verse says this. Restrain your voice from weeping. Stop your tears. Because your work will be rewarded, declares the Lord. They will return from the land of the enemy. So there is hope for your descendants. What am I trying to get at? What, I, what do I think Matthew's trying to get at? What he's trying to do is to write a story. It's all true. It all happened. But he's trying to show you how people who are in hard places and who are far from God have hope. Now, look, Christmas is a wonderful time, but it all... It, it can also be the hardest time. It's a time for family, but what if you're estranged from your family? Do you have a brother you find don't get along with? Or you don't get to talk to so much and you just not connect not much connection there? What if your relationships with your parents are a bit fractured, tense, toxic even? I mean it's a time for family, but but what about it when you look around at Christmas time and your family aren't there? Maybe they're halfway around the world. Maybe Maybe they're not even on earth anymore. If you've lived more than a year or two, there are special people who are precious to you who have died. 
and a Christmas. Some, I've, heard, I've heard it said that I can put up with all the pain except at Christmas. It comes back. And for the Israelite reading Matthew, this was designed to ignite some hope. To acknowledge their distance from their ancestral God. Yeah, it's a dark time. Yeah, you don't feel close to God. I know. That is how it is. You are in exile. At the same time, sparking the possibility of reconnection with him. It's, trying to, it's, it, it's, just, it's just crying out to the reader. Read on. There might be distance between you and God, but, but there won't be. Read on. There is one who's going to bring hope to Rachel, mourning her children, who's going to comfort her. Read on. From the outskirts, the backwaters of Israel, this double refugee will bring back home, not just Israel, but will fulfill the purpose of Israel, which is actually to bring us all back home to God. Look, I know I might have felt dumb when I said, oh, will God be interested in you know, what you did today? Or will he, will he like to chat to you about the cricket? What Matthew is saying is you're going to have that happen. I might feel dumb me, me, me asking it, but you're going to have that conversation. You're going to be with God if you put your trust in his, in his Jesus that he sent at Christmas. It's a truth. It's a real thing. It's just because it's so weird that we can't even kind of process it. So there's, I think there's three people, three sort of kinds of people who are probably hitting... Um, sorry, just bad New, new Hope puns. We're going to happen there. I'm just going to skip them. Three kinds of people for whom this gives a, a great sense of hope. For some of us, you here this afternoon, maybe you're seeking God. You don't know God, you're seeking God. You're wondering about what a connection with God could be like. And you realize you haven't found it yet. You realize you're far from him, disconnected from God. Well, then this passage is for you. It's telling you that there's hope. Whatever pain or darkness you are in, whatever distant land you think you are in feels like you're so far from God as if he's in a whole other universe. Matthew says, read on and discover Jesus, who himself was faced the ultimate separation from his father by dying so that your separation from God could be remedied in the next life. You have hope. There's real hope for you to know God and have a conversation with him. Maybe you're here today and you've put your trust in Jesus, but, but right now God feels a long way away. So you should be close to him. You know that he's your father. You know that he loves you. You know that he's forgiven your sins, but, but you're going through a dark night and it doesn't feel like it. It feels like there's this invisible barrier between you and him. Please hear Matthew's comfort for you. You will Talk to him face to face. And I'll get one little more verse of comfort for you later, so hold on for that. And the last person, I think, is the person who's going great. You're going good. You prayed this morning, and you loved it. You read God's word this morning, you were appropriately rebuked, <laughs> and yet also encouraged, and you thought, man, this is good. Life with God, what a privilege. Now for that person... God's reminding you here this afternoon that you're not there yet. This world's okay, pretty good. Life might be good for you. There is way more to hope for. There is way more to come. Do not, do, do not enjoy this too much. Well, I mean, do enjoy it, but, but don't expect that one day you will see God walk with him face to face and your connection with him will blow your mind. You'll, you'll walk with him in a renewed earth. Now, there's this great verse, 1 Corinthians 13, 12. Now we only see a reflection as in a mirror. We know God 
We know his character because he died for us on the cross. We get his love. We, we, we see the gospel. But, it, but the mirror, mirrors back then weren't great, right? <laughs> mirrors back then were kind of like the, uh, the ones that Elena and I play with at the kids' park that makes, like, I walk up to it and it makes me look like this tall and this wide. So it, so it does the sort of little bit, but not much, right? And, and, and you know, you make your skinny. We have a great time playing around with it. And we only see God a little bit like that. But one day it won't be like that. And you'll know him. You'll be with him. See, the thing is, then we'll know fully, even as we're fully known. See, just want to skip back to that person who, was, who knows Jesus. You trust Jesus. You've asked Jesus to save you, but you're struggling. You see what it says there? You're fully known now. He gets you. He knows what it's like. He understands. It's just that we don't get it yet. Our experience isn't the same as that. One day it'll be different. One day you'll be with him. It's hard to imagine being with God. But he knows you. So as, as you come into this Christmas season, I, I hope that you have hope. I hope that you have joy because when we see Jesus face to face, when the exile's over, when we're back in, back in time and space with him, I tell you, it will have been worth the wait. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you're good, but we don't know how good. You loved us at the cross and we see it and we think, my goodness, that just is unthinkably kind and generous. And yet we just don't get it with our whole being. But you get us in our whole being. We're fully known by you. And so, Lord, we just want to thank you that you see us and that we can sort of see in Matthew that Matthew gets our, our desperateness, our brokenness, the busted upness of this world, the, the evils that we face, the, the, the murder between human beings. And yet in the middle of that cries hope, hope, hope for us. God, just pray as we come to you in communion now as we sing and then come to the Lord's table. That, Lord, we'd, we'd just ingest that. That we'd soak it up. That we'd set our minds and our hearts, even though we, our feelings might not want us to, that we're going to set our minds and our hearts to hope, to look forward to the future, to be excited about being with you. Father, by your Spirit, please make it so. In Jesus' name, amen.